0: This is "Listen to the Editors," a series of interviews with journal editors to unveil the trends in research for operations and supply chain management. I'm your host, Yuri Gavronsky. Today, we are interviewing one of the guest editors for the Ju- Journal of Operations Management special issue on COVID-19, Chris Voss. Um, before we start, um, would you would you mind presenting yourself to our
1: listeners? Hello, Yuri. I'm delighted to be here. I'm, I'm Chris Voss. I'm uh... Emeritus Professor of Operations Management at London Business School, and I am Professor of Operations Management at Warwick Business School. And I've been actively involved in operations supply chain management um, since time immemorial. Um, I'm I'm one of the guys who's been around for quite quite a while and uh, observed a lot. So very happy to talk. And I've I've worked a lot with Shandai in China. so I'm very happy to talk about this special issue that we're, we're putting together, we're hoping to put together.
0: So tell us about these uh, cover papers. What, what okay. are you expecting?
1: Well, let me tell you a bit of the background. First of all, when we listen to epidemiologists, virologists, uh, even politicians, they keep talking about supply chains. And the ability to control the pandemic depends on our ability, in large part, on keeping supply chains functioning. Therefore, as we are the experts on supply chain, at least the experts on supply chain, this raises interesting questions. To what degree is the goal to apply existing supply chain knowledge? Oh! Existing supply chain knowledge. Um, or to what degree is it forcing to us to extend our knowledge base and think, find new ways and new things about the way you deal with supply chains?
0: We just were joined by Sian, by he had a connection, trouble. Would you mind uh, presenting yourself to our audience?
2: My name is Xander Zhao, I'm uh, the JD.com Chair Professor in Operations and Supply Chain Management from uh, China Europe International Business School. I'm also the Director of CIP's GRP Center for Innovation in Supply Chain and Services.
0: Okay, thank you. So, um, Chris was just uh, describing the motivation behind the call for papers on the special issue. Would you like to add anything on the motivation for this call? Yeah,
2: actually, uh, we were observing uh, a lot of innovative practices uh, of logistic companies, retailers and manufacturers during COVID-19, and they used uh, digital technology, big data, data, a lot of innovation. They also innovated in a way, they collaborate with their upstream and downstream partners and also in collaborating with the government. So some companies we have worked closely with like uh, Jingdong.com and uh, they also have a logistics group, Jindong Logistics, and uh, they use their internet platform, use the collaborative Planning, forecasting, and the inventory replenishment system, they have developed over the years. During this crisis, they work with the Hubei government to set up a system. On the one side, they are connected with multiple suppliers. On the other side, they are connected with the hospital government agency, and they really try to use their intelligent and uh, transpiring supply chain capability to help to manage the medical supply chain and also the supply chain for something like food. And by observing what these companies are doing, we think there are a lot of interesting things going on. We'd like to design a special issue so that we can, on the one side, showcase some of the innovative practices. And then at the same time, we want to study how these uh, innovative practices will be able to enable the faster and uh, more accurate response, what we call the responsiveness, and then resilience, how companies use digital technology and through new ways of collaboration, be able to really uh, resume the supply chain operations and be able to kind of recover from the disruptions. And also, uh, after the Chinese New Year, a lot of companies faced the issue of restore this whole supply chain operation. So in the responsiveness, resilience, and uh, restoration of the supply chain, we see a lot of innovative things. And uh, we try to uh, propose this proposal so that the researchers will be able to study these innovative practices and how these innovative practices will enable them to be able to be responsive and the supply chain will be more resilient and they will be able to uh, restart the whole supply chain faster. And uh, I think the three R's are very important and we really need to study these things in depth.
1: Can I add a bit to that? Because to me, we have a kind of a dual thing here. Firstly, there's a study, understanding what it is that has enabled companies to successfully manage the supply chains in this, in this fantastic crisis, which is you know, a disaster for everybody, completely different, and learning all the innovative things they've done to do this. And there's a lot of learning there. Uh, new things, a lot of innovation. But secondly, what of the terms going around now is moving when this is over into what we might call the new normal. What, what is happening? What is it going to be like then? So, one of the things we want to learn from this is what learning can we carry forward while, from the COVID crisis into the future, into the way we manage our supply chains, the way we manage our operations, uh, which enables them to do better, to do it differently than maybe we do today. So, it is both about how we actually make today's supply chains more effective? And secondly, how we carry this forward into the, new, into the new normal for the future?
2: Yeah, I completely agree with Chris's point. And actually, uh, we also studied uh, the restaurant supply chain. And uh, without this crisis, there are many restaurants who never considered to move online. So they've been uh, running a good operation with uh, a design based on the fact that customers will come to dine inside their stalls. But during this crisis, all of the sudden customers cannot come. And if they are not really doing anything with the online system, they cannot really deliver the cooked food or the ingredients or semi-finished food to consumers' home. Then during this crisis, basically their stall stopped operations for two or three months. But those companies who collaborated with the internet platform company and the delivery company, they were able to really change the way they deliver the services. And the result, many of them actually their business increased. And then after this crisis, I know some restaurant managers who did not really do anything with the online system. Now he's saying. We will have to really design the online system and try to manage uh, the omni-channel so that in the end, we will have a longer term competitiveness. So this crisis kind of acted like a wake-up talk.
1: It's also interesting, as as an operations management academic, how some of the things we talk about in class and in theory all of a sudden are thrown into reality. But one which springs to mind is agility. We've talked about agility, operational agility, supply chain agility. But has anybody until now actually had to really demonstrate agility? And I think this will, will, will give us a lot of insights into what is agility, how do we manage agility? Let me give you a couple, couple of examples. Firstly, um, one, one Ineos, which is a, a British-owned company, which is a chemical company, which, is, which manages large chemical supply chains, very rapidly chose to reconfigure their production systems to produce some of the things we need to deal with COVID. So they're able to say, we we have the supply chain, we know the supply chain, we are able to say, we have all the ingredients, we can start making sanitizers, all sorts of things like that, which is something happening. Secondly, there are many examples now of manufacturing companies who have rapidly reconfigured their manufacturing to make things that we need from personal protective equipment, the ventilators, um, to much more. Um, so we are seeing agility happening. We're seeing some of the limits of agility as well. So, for example, some of the companies which have developed ventilators very rapidly have found those ventilators that have failed all the tests they need to be able to use clinically. Therefore, it's not quite as simple as we think it may be. Therefore, I think we have a lot to learn about agility through studying what people have done both in manufacturing and in the supply chain. The second
2: one, which... Yeah, the word the agility, I think it's a very good word. And uh, uh, I have a student who run actually a chemical company. They used to make the large volume standardized ingredients that other factory needs. And uh, during this crisis, she starts, he starts to find a lot of people like need the disinfectant. And then very quickly, he configured a system be able to make the disinfectant and also collaborate it with uh, the packaging supplier. And she also get help from the government so that she will be able to produce a product and be able to really deliver to the consumer's home. And uh, she really shared this experience with us and uh, she has been discussing with me how she can really change the supply chain and do more customization and has a faster speed of response but during the normal time she was talking about it and she was not able to do it and during this crisis she really put that idea into practice and she implemented the model which is very good and then another good example is a restaurant and uh, actually i have two examples of a restaurant the first one after this crisis come, actually before the Chinese New Year, they stopped a lot of ingredients and uh, fresh seafood, et etc, with the hope that customers will come to the stall to really uh, dine in, and that's really a very high demand season. and uh, many restaurants actually uh, generate twenty or fifteen percent of the revenue of the year during the seven or eight days uh, of the Chinese New Year. So all of a sudden, COVID-19 come, then nobody comes to the restaurant. And then they are stopped with all these ingredients and the fresh seafoods, et cetera. And in order to really meet the customer needs and also convert the inventory into money, the management team work very quickly. Number one, they take out the food to sell outside the restaurant. They sell the ingredients. Number two, they also build the internet platform to uh, take orders from the consumer here home. And uh, this actually was uh, aired uh, by CCTV uh, just recently. And that's a company which had a very fast response and they changed the way they uh, produce the food, they deliver the food. And another company actually was not really so fast and they were not internet ready at all. And then during the crisis, they could not do anything because no customer is coming. And then they take the time to get the people together to do three days of uh, kind of strategic planning. And then they did the uh, rethinking and then they designed a whole strategy to move into a model with online and offline. Another type of company that we observed is uh, those people who have wide international network. They use the internet platform to connect with the supplier. During this crisis, they did uh, really, really very well. Like Kaird, they have a cosmo platform. They use uh, the digital technology and the internet platform to not only manage their own supplier, their own supply chain, they also offer the solution to other companies, even in other industries, like government, and the textile, machinery and also uh, like uh, mobile homes, etc. So due to their experience with managing supply chain in different industries, due to their capability of being able to connect to the upstream and downstream using digital technology. So during this crisis, their business really expanded very, very rapidly. Actually, the vice CEO of the group called me and said, "Professor Dow. Can you recommend some good supply chain people to me? Look, my demand is increasing so fast. I really need good people
1: to help me. This is one of the thing, another area where I think it's interesting for study is, is ramp-up. Um, I've done some ramp-ups in services. And in ramp-ups, um, it's a real balance between ramping up very fast and ramping up too quickly. If You ramp up too quickly, then things fall apart and you have to ramp down again. And and what we're finding here is a lot of learning about how we ramp up quickly. So, for example, the example you've given is a very rapid ramp up. Uh, Another one where we see a lot of is trying to ramp up capacity in hospitals very, very quickly. Um, And what what do we learn? What have we learned about successes of ramping up hospital capacity very quickly? And what have we learned about the difficulties of of ramping up hospital capacity very quickly to to get get what we might call surge capacity? I think there's a lot of learning to go on then. So for example, in China and in England, we have built new hospitals almost within a week. Um, uh, And we've learned a lot from that. Also, other areas where the the ramp-ups have been much more difficult and having ramped up one aspect of capacity, you find you're missing other assets because you haven't really looked at the whole supply chain of what's necessary for the whole ramped up operation. So I think it's it's a very interesting area to study and to look at and, and to learn from.
0: What would be the due date for this uh, call for papers? When you are you expecting the papers to arrive? The,
1: the, the due date is is in, in the call for papers, which is uh, January the thirty first, two thousand and twenty one. So it's a very short due date, and this is deliberate on the part of the journal because what they want is us to focus on what's happening now, because this is this hopefully is a short term happening and therefore we, we need to be very creative in our research method to be able to respond we need to think how, 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 can, we, how can we research something which is happening and won't happen again but rather than kind of look at it in hindsight what can we do, can we use the internet to research can, can, can we do more in-depth single case studies um, the, you know the journal is, is open to, to, met, to methods which may be not quite as Rigorous as otherwise would be, but we're looking—it's looking for empirically grounded research questions, um, which could be based, which then could have empirical data from interviews, from data from all sorts of areas. Um, so the challenge is how do we research effectively in a very short period of time? Um, and having done, that, would you accept lit reviews? I don't think so. No, <laughs> no, not conceptual. It, it,
0: and what about um, mathematical or computational uh, methods such as uh, analytical models or uh, simulations? Would you be willing to accept that as well?
1: Not directly, no. This, the Journal of Operations Management is, is, is an empirical journal. Uh, what, one thing that would be acceptable was that if you, have, if you have models and you use those models to predict, you test those predictions out in real life, and you find that, for example, you learn a lot about what is not happening, then managerially, then that will be acceptable. But just doing a math model, there are other journals which do the math models, great journal to the math models, management science, management. That's not the not this particular journal. This is very much an empir, em, empirically based questions, um, and with empir, with empirics in our understanding of what actually happens. And not to say you can't have models, not to say that models aren't important, but you've got to go beyond the model. Because um, the model is predicting, um, and you and, and you need to be one step ahead. Saying this, this model you know, pr- predicted the spread of COVID. That's not good enough. You know, there's there's other there's pl- many plenty of places to publish that, and not Journal of Operations Management.
2: Yeah, I think uh, mainly we are looking for empirical papers, and uh, in terms of uh, the adoption of different type of empirical methodology, I think. Uh, the most suitable one, the most popular one, I think is uh, case studies. And actually, uh, during this uh, COVID-19, I've been talking to multiple groups of executives in different industries. And I think uh, maybe I just uh, cite some possible case studies. One is in the restaurant business, you can pick some company which are online ready and uh, then during uh, the crisis, they made the adjustment just shifted from the offline demand to the online demand. And then there are also companies who are not online ready initially, but they really worked very hard to really change the way they do the business even during COVID-19. And there are some companies which really kind of will sit back and say, right now it's too late for me, but I really need to think and uh, I need to adjust my strategy for the future. There are also companies which did nothing, okay? So I think this is a very good setting for you to be able to do action or intervention-based research because uh, under this crisis, you can see different kind of companies who have quite different strategies. And then if you can use the real-case document, what happened to their sales? what happened to their customer satisfaction, and what happened to their employees. And uh, this type of case study will be able to discover a lot of things that we normally cannot really discover because we do not really have these type of dramatic changes in demand all the time, and we also do not have these type of dramatic disruptions all the time. I think case study is a very good one. And then on top of that, maybe on top of some uh, case study, you can also add in some surveys. So one issue actually we are examining is uh, during this COVID-19 crisis, you can see companies have quite different attitudes towards their suppliers. And uh, some companies say, since this is so difficult for you, and we are stronger for you, I'm uh, I'm going to pay my supplier sooner and uh, I'm uh, going to offer help to you so that you can start, so that I will be able to use your parts, raw material, to start my factory. We see these type of examples. Uh, also opposite examples, Originally, I pay you in 30 days. Now, literally, they say I pay you in 60 days or 90 days. And at the same time, I want to reduce your price by 30%, okay? This is the true example. And then another, the thing is, when we uh, selected our supplier, we had uh, all type of metrics. But the, most of the metrics that we use to measure our suppliers' performance is based on their capability. And uh, some companies even developed very good data. And uh, when the crisis comes, some of the capable suppliers are not willing to do extraordinary things to work with you. And then you do not get the supply. So we found maybe under this crisis, People will be able to discover maybe capability is not enough. And we see companies who really put in a lot of effort to develop a willingness to cooperate. And uh, even though some companies also talk about these things uh, during the normal days, but during crisis, the willingness to be able to do extraordinary things becomes something very important. And another factor we discover is some companies. Actually, even during normal time, they have contingency planning. They have set up the organization, have cross-functional teams to deal with the special situation. So under the special situation, the clients has a specific request. And then that request get passed to the proper corporate level. And then that corporate level person or uh, office Will be able to integrate the resources within multiple units, and then pretty soon, within hours, they assemble the resources from different units, and they were able to address the customer's problem. But then, some other organizations are much less ready. They are very efficient with using their standard process. When the crisis happens, they really do not know what to do. So, with all these different cases. I can see a lot of rich case studies can kind of discover many of the innovative things and how these innovative things will translate into responsiveness and resilience and other dimensions of performance in the supply chain. And another very interesting thing is, uh, let's say, in different countries, Due to the difference in culture and also in the legal system in the government power, you may find the responses of the different companies are so different. In China, one thing which is very good is if the government wants to do something, they will be able to really use the command and control, and the people and the company will follow. But the problem is when the government has not made the decision, the top leader hasn't made the decision, then nobody dare to do anything. So there are a lot of uh, cross-cultural differences in terms of how to handle crisis too. And another very interesting thing I heard is, uh, I think Chris mentioned uh, the ventilator. The Chinese factory are producing them, but a lot of ventilators get sold through middlemen. And then I heard in the UK, my friend told me, since there is a perceived shortage, a lot of middlemen actually jump up the price. And uh, actually, some middlemen hides the supply. They don't want to sell it. They start that order in order to increase price. So they are all very interesting things to study.
1: There's another version of that, which is a lot of the stuff which has been produced very quickly is substandard. So a, a very large number of of, of gowns bought in from china were tested and the, and were all substandard and had to be scrapped because people middle people produced them very quickly without to try and get them out to make money and get to the market very quickly so there is an interesting there's an interesting trade off here between quality and speed uh, okay it's heating up but somewhere somewhere along the line there's examples of it working very well somewhere along the lines there are examples of working very badly and i think we need to learn from the mistakes as well as the successes as as with the pricing um, just take moving slightly side. Yeah.
2: Actually, Chris, you have a very good
1: point. But on this
2: point, on this side of the world, I also heard about uh, other stories, which is especially the European company, European countries, not companies. They had set up their quality standard years ago based on the old uh, situation, and then some of the companies in China, I say, and actually. Our new innovative design actually has been proven to work very well in China, but that does not face into the old quality standards set by the UK or the US. So, there are these type of things happening too.
1: Absolutely. maybe may one side, it may, there's no right answer on this one. It may, it's kind of it's an interesting question on, on this. Um, just carrying on, on the methodology things as well. Another route for methodologies is actually use, using data, large amounts of data. Um, for example, one of the areas of study of interest is, 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 is bullwhip effects. Um, we're seeing a lot of examples of, of bullwhip effects, simple ones like, like hoarding. Um, right, they, so, you know, someone was asked whether they were hoarding. He said, I'm not hoarding. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just stocking up. So I get ahead of all the, other, all the people who, who are going to hoard. Um, but the bullwhip effects, are, 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 all of a sudden we have a, a great example of bullwhip effects. How do we manage bullwhip effects? in a very uncertain environment? What data do we have on the way it's handled? And a lot of the, can we get a, is there a lot of data out there which helps us understand the nature of the bulgur effect and maybe help us rethink how we manage bulgur effects um, in, in, in a very uncertain environment? Uh,
0: on the, this topic, the trade-off between speed and quality, uh, how are we expecting to overcome this, well-known trade-off in the call or the special issue itself. I mean, we are talking here of a due date for submission of a January 21st, next year. Uh, that would be probably, if we are lucky, maybe three months between back and forth uh, conversations with the reviewers and all that. Then we are publishing, I don't know, May, April next year, this special issue? Um,
1: uh, hold on, I've got the data. No, it's gonna be September next year. So the first, the first, by April. September,
0: okay. So wouldn't be that far for, uh, you know, um, if we were expecting to, to submit or to have a special issue that is willing to help managers cope with the pandemics, wouldn't be too far
1: well the special issue is not we have to distinguish between what we're doing now can help the managers and special issues are not the way to do that we want to help the management we've got to we've got to go into managerial publications uh, we've got to go into the classroom and um, we've got to translate our, our learnings very quickly um and and you can't do that through special issues. you can't do that through, through academic journals you, know, you can do it through Things like Harvard Business Review, California Management Review, uh, whatever, you, whatever things you have in Brazil, um, and there's there's, there's plenty, and, and through the media, through the web, through through your universities, there's lots of outlets for translating the intermediate learning very quickly and interacting with managers about that. And that that is you know in a way what we're trying to do is to stand back and say what what have we what can we learn from this, which will which which is, which is not just about okay applying these things will make it work now it's it's about thinking about what is it that we're learning which is new what is it that what is it that is new about the way, way we handle this what what is it about the traditional things we thought about which don't apply anymore um are, 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 you know, so it's about finding things which are different and new um in addition it, it, it it's it is complementary to helping managers today, but that you know that, that does not come through an academic journal. Uh, no, matter how fa- no matter how fast you do this, is a very fast uh, turnaround for call for papers. We will get lots of questions saying it's too it's too quick, it's too soon. Um, but the reality is, you know, we want to, we want to move people quickly. But you know, to to to, to help managers, there are, there are, there are, in the short term, that there are other routes. Um, and part, partly, this is through networks, for example, Shande has enormous networks through Siebes, um uh, I'm sure all the uh, that is being used right now, both through the academics and both through the academics promoting sharing between, between companies about how they do things.
2: Yeah, let me add to that. Uh, I think uh, we will offer managerial implications and guidelines for managers to make decisions better in the future. But our fast issue certainly will not be fast enough to be able to offer the guideline for them to do things better, maybe within the next three or four months. But uh, the way that uh, my research team works is uh, on the one side, actually even uh, before uh, this special issue, uh, facing the COVID-19 and the supply chain challenges, we have been studying how different companies using digital technology, using big data to improve responsiveness and resilience. And we are trying to write a paper for the Palm Special Issue. And actually even before we wrote the proposal for that uh, special issue, we have gathered uh, the information. And then even during this uh, virus, I was able to offer multiple lectures already. Okay, so I had one lecture uh, specifically designed for Jingdong. And then I also uh, delivered a lecture for uh, our GEMBA Global Executive MBA. And I also uh, participated in a webinar by the Economist uh, Business Intelligence Unit, And I also attended another webinar by the Chinese Federation of Purchasing and Logistics. So for some of the things we do, we try to disseminate the knowledge through webinars, through classes, either online or offline, but now most of the activities are online. And at the same time, we may also write articles for like *Science review. And uh, we have to have different outlets to publish to really create the impact But the JOM special issue, we will try to do that as fast as possible. And if we see some good papers which get uh, into our hands, we may speed up the publishing. At the same time, when we do not uh, really get enough paper, or actually we do have good paper, but they have not finished, for certain special situations, we are also waiting to delay the deadline for submission. So we are trying to be fast, responsive, and also trying to be flexible.
0: So are you expecting to have those papers, for example, you, you suppose there, there is already a researcher working on that and he has a paper ready next month, say, and it submits the paper to you. Um, in many cases, I, I've applied, uh, I've submitted uh, papers to special issues that weren't published because they didn't have all the papers ready yet. Um, Are you expecting to have a pre-publication? Somehow the papers that were accepted will be...
2: Yeah, uh, this is a a very good issue. Actually, uh, we're going to talk to the chief editor concerning this point. Actually, now many journals publish the so-called virtual special issue, which means whichever paper is ready, they publish that first. And then towards the end, they assemble all the papers together with one editorial. They put that online. So the physical paper may get published as soon as uh, the editors believe this paper is good enough and uh, we do not have to wait for all the papers to get together to publish in one physical issue. But this issue, I haven't really uh, talked about this uh, with uh, the chief editor. I think I have to bring this one up to them. You have a very good point. If we do have a good paper which will be submitted to us, let's say next month and uh, there is really no need for us to wait for a year to get that published.
0: So uh, in medical journals, they publish papers that describe a new procedure, right? They find a new procedure that might save lives, um, they publish them. In and, and top journals in, in in medicine, I've been told, I don't read them, but I've been told that they publish such type of papers. Why we have um, such an addiction to theory that we need to have somehow a a contribution to theory to publish something that is in fact working. I mean, don't we need to have a separate process for showing what works and then a a separate process to um, explain the reasons? I mean, we had in the past. (laughs) Yeah, actually... Uh, you have a good points
2: with this, too. We uh, just uh, saw the editorial by JOM, and they were promoting uh, this research on uh, intervention. And I think they are saying there are two criteria. One is there should be sufficient evidence to say this intervention is uh, effective. And then the second thing is the intervention created uh, something new, which cannot be explained by the existing theory. And uh, we prove this invention work in some ways that we really uh, uh, do not know before. And actually, JOM is saying they are willing to publish these type of papers.
1: Yeah. And they, they have been. They, before this, it was called design science. and design, they, have a, they had a design science department, um, which published design science, I, I published one myself, design science-based paper, um, and basically you're, you're, you're talking about new things and, you, and new ways of doing things, where you have to test them, you have to show they work or show why they don't, or the conditions in which they work and which they don't work. Um, and there's been quite a lot published in in the Journal of Operations Management. It's now, it's now they now broadened it, called it intervention-based research, such as, as Shande said. So there, there is certainly a lot of scope for doing this. Um, but it, it it does need to go beyond the idea. Here is my idea for doing something. You and here somebody's done it once; it's worked. You've got to be a little bit more, a little bit more rigorous than that. You've got to think about why it works. because have got to think of the mechanisms. Um, there, 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 there are some very good frameworks for doing this, uh, where, where, where you look at the mechanism and think about what is the mechanism which makes it work. What are the outcomes on that mechanism? And, and, and you, you should, you should, you know, if, you're, if you're interested in that, you should look at. What they published about design science you should look at some of the papers they published you should look at their what they now talk about in intervention based research so it's it, it's there um but it's probably not quite as simple as in medical where they just do a simple intervention in a very small context here's something we, which we try but it, it's it's certainly there um and they, they're trying very hard to do this um uh, as well so i i might also add it's not very easy to do <laughs> have, have
0: I mean, I, I see those, those, those papers in, in computer science, in, in um, I don't know, chemistry, in, in physics. They have a couple of citations, and we have pages of, and pages of references. We need that much um, background information that uh, for everything we do, we have to cite oh, yeah, something. There, there is a trade-off.
1: Uh, all, all I can say with due respect to you is... The more the more junior the researcher the more references they put in it's a safety net I, I feel I have to I feel I have to quote everything just in case I miss something uh, where, whereas you go older um, you, you cut back and say okay let, let's 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 try and keep the ones which really matter you probably you're probably over uh, because you you know out there there are referees who, who get who get fussy about missing references but um, you're right, you've got to make some balance which is right for you. I agree fully, most times you have far too many references, um, far, 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 far too much in there, yeah. And computer science is probably the area where design science has been used most and most effectively. So in other words, it's, you know, you know, I don't read the stuff, but that, that, that's, that's been the area where design science and intervention-based, not intervention-based, design science type research has been used a lot. Uh, seemingly quite well, and with, with with very good detailed procedures.
2: Yeah, so we are really looking for interesting papers that will really address the challenge related to COVID nineteen, and uh, we are not really confined to any type of theory. But uh, we need to have interesting findings which will really uh, kind of either say some of the existing methods. As existing theory does not work, or I've discovered a new theory. And if you do not have a clear theory, but uh, you just uh, present enough evidence saying the existing approach doesn't work, now under this situation, there is a new interesting approach. I have sufficient evidence which says this works much better than the conventional wisdom. I think we are waiting to publish these type of papers as long as you present sufficiently strong evidence.
0: Okay, thanks. Uh, well, what would be your final message, Chris?
1: I think, I think make it interesting. There's going to be a lot of papers. Everybody is rushing in to write about COVID right now, uh, with, without doubt. Every journal has called for special issues. Everybody wants to publish. You've got to make a real contribution, something, something which is interesting, something which is probably you wouldn't think of beforehand. Something which may be counterintuitive, something which says, "Okay, we're going to change the way we do things in the future." Uh, all, all of these things, I think, I will be looking for. I look, I look forward very much to reading the papers that come forward. I'm looking forward to really, a lot of really interesting papers.
2: Yeah, yeah. Maybe let me add to uh, what Chris uh, has said. I think we are very much looking for good paper grounded by innovative practices. We are more interested in knowing what are some of the innovative things that have been kind of implemented. And then from these innovative practices, what what is the result in terms of supply chain capabilities, in terms of business performance, in terms of being able to really save lives? And uh, then we also want people to think uh, deeper why these innovative practices, these new approaches really work. And hopefully, by looking at these papers, we will be able to think about new theories, new methodology, so that our field will be able to contribute more to the society.
0: Thank you very much. I wish you luck in, in, in this endeavor.
2: Good. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you.
0: Listen to the Editors is an initiative of the Operations and Supply Chain Management Division of the Academy of Management. We post our interviews monthly in our division website. You can discuss any of the topics of this episode using our interactive tool, connect.aom.org. Using the discussion section of our site, you can also post suggestions for questions, journal editors you would like to hear from, and requests for clarifications. You can also subscribe to our podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or with the Podcast Addict app on Android. See you next month.